Hi everyone, Hi. welcome back to the Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Tina Dwayhe joining me today. Tina, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. So Tina was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 37 and she's gone from that to then creating something called Red Fern Lingerie, which is for people who have breast cancer and it helps them get their confidence in their own bodies back. So yeah, I thought we'd start with your background, Tina, if that's okay. So could you share with us where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Oh, okay. Thank you, Michael. Um, okay, so I'm Australian born and bred, so I'm a good old Aussie girl. Um, born and bred in the heart and raised in the heart of Sydney, so I'm an inner city girl. Um, so that's basically me. I'm the daughter of Lebanese background, so my parents came out to Australia in the 1950s. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that bit. My work background at the time that I was diagnosed, I was working at a law firm in um, marketing. So that was really fun and it was very busy. And um, I was just really enjoying life at the time. Like I was just kicking all my bucket list items and goals that I wanted to achieve and things were going really great. And then I got the curve ball thrown into my life with breast cancer. All right, well, what sort of things did you get up to then, bucket list-wise? Um, I have had travelled extensively through Europe. Um, I had finally managed to buy a tiny little apartment in Sydney, and that's, like, huge here because prices are ridiculous at the best of times. Um, you know, beautiful, you know, going out with my friends and just having a really good social life. Um, you know, I had done things like jump out of a plane, um, attempted to do diving, except that didn't really work with me. Um, yeah, just just little things here and there. It's just everything that I, it was just sort of slowly getting ticked off. It was like, yeah, this is really good. All right. So, what gave you the what gave you the freedom to do that? Then was it the job that you had, or, or was it something else? Um, I think it's not, not so much as the job that I had. I think for me it was more that um, I've always been quite a determined person and, well, my parents would say stubborn, but it's yeah. basically um, when I put my mind to it, that's it. it I've got to do it until, I get, until it's done and I'm happy with it. So if I, like, I wanted to go to Europe, it's been a dream, had been a dream of mine since I was a young girl, especially when you live on the other side of the world. Um, and I was determined to do it and I did and you know I wanted to buy um, a one, an apartment in the area that I'm living in and I did but you know it takes it takes a lot of determination and a lot of work and all the rest but I think it's more my tenacity that I just like to do achieve things. Well, it, it seems then that this kind of carried over when you were diagnosed and so it's it's 10 years of recording this right so it's, it's like your is your 10 year anniversary of of being diagnosed so how did you take that into that situation then because it, it can't have been an, an easy situation to be in but you seem to have, have come out the other end somewhat so to talk us through that talk you through how i started redford um, yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so essentially, like you said, I was diagnosed 10 years ago last, um, 10 years ago would have been last month in April. 
and um, well, it came out of left field because one, I was under 40 and you never hear of young women in that age group diagnosed in the media. It's always about the older women. Um, I don't have a family history of breast cancer. And I do remember saying to the surgeon, no, we do heart disease in our family. That's what I'm preparing for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and so there was no heart, no, no history. I was, it just came out of left field. And so obviously I had to deal with the diagnosis and the treatment, which was, you know, it was pretty hardcore. And unfortunately, younger women, when they're diagnosed, their, their cancers are usually quite more, are usually more aggressive. And that was the case with me. Um, so I basically dealt with it the way I dealt with everything else. It was pretty much, what do I have to do? And I followed all my medical team's advice and I went through the surgeries and the, um, the treatment and thankfully I'm still here. How that led me to create Redfern was that um, I've always been a lover of fine lingerie. I love how, you know, wearing something like a different, something beautiful, lacy, embroidery, whatever, could make me feel good on the day. So if it's a horrible day outside, I've got something nice on and that makes me feel better, you know. And you can just, it, you know, you're going into the work and no one knows what you're wearing but you do and it just gives you that edge of confidence. Um, I used to volunteer with the homeless for a number of years and, you know, I'd go, with my, go out in my old ripped jeans and sloppy joes and, you know, old stuff because you don't want to wear your crown jewels because you want to be able to work with the people that you're helping. And, um, but underneath, I would always have my nice lingerie. So that was my thing. And I was advised that I needed to go for a professional fitting um, after surgery. So I did. And it was that personal, ex that was ex that experience that eventually led me to create Red Fern. So basically, before cancer, if when you go lingerie shopping, you have a variety of choice from a department store to um, specialty boutiques to um, online boutiques or what, you know, you've got a choice. And then when you go into that, those shopping arenas, you have the choice of um, whether you want a sexy number, whether you want the sports bra for your new workout program, whether you want you know, a T-shirt bra, a push-up, whatever. End of the day, it's your choice and it comes down to your style preference, what your budget requirements are and what your needs are. So that's what I thought would be. I thought I would have this choice. What I didn't know is, no, you don't have a choice. There are essentially two brands that have the market um, who cater purely for the function and do not cater for the woman's emotional needs in the process. And so I was fitted into the bra and I said to the lady, okay, it's quite comfortable, which is a bonus, especially after surgery and all the scar, you know, the, the swelling and everything. Um, I said to her, so it's comfy and it fits pretty good, but I don't like it. It's quite great, great grandma nanorish. And I said to her, I, I just, is there anything, anything prettier? prettier? And she said, no, love. I'm like, no, 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 I don't think you're hearing me. The fit's fine. It's comfortable. 
but then there's got to be something prettier. I, 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 I'm 37, I want something prettier. No love, that's all there is. I'm like, oh, Jesus, okay. So essentially you're in a corner and you're, you have to buy the bra because you need the bra. But it just wasn't pretty. So here I am, I've just had a mastectomy. Fortunate to have a recon, but I still had a mastectomy. Trying to adjust to my new body, trying to adjust to the pain after surgery and the limitations in movements and everything that comes with it, trying to get my head around the fact that I was about to start chemo. And it was kind of like this horrible nail that was just going through saying, oh, yeah, and by the way, you're going to have to wear ugly brows now for the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I don't think so. And so that was basically the crux of what made me start Redfern. Um, and but it took a few years after that because obviously I was going through treatment and then I wanted to go back to my life, but that never really ever happens after cancer. You go, you find a new normal. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and so it took a few years after that and then the process of trying to develop something and find, um, yeah, learn everything about lingerie that I could because I've never worked in um, fashion. So that was really interesting. But that long, a long-winded answer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's it. It just shows how how complicated it can be, and how it's not always what it seems on on the surface. You know, like when when people wear clothes. To some people, they are just clothes, and to some people, they mean a lot more. And I would imagine that with things like underwear and, and lingerie as well, is it's because, as you say, it's the only thing that you know that you've got on. You know. Um, mm -hmm a situation occurs you know but uh, a lot of the time it is just things that that you know that you've that you've got on and if you feel good in what you're wearing then you'll feel good as as a result there does seem to be um, a correlation between those things so how how did you go about starting this is in turning it into a business so i get the impression that you you found that there was a need that you didn't find that was being met for you and then you went ahead and decided okay well because there isn't one out there that's what I'm going to go and do that's what I'm going to go and start but what were the next steps for you? Um, a lot of research a lot of research so um, research like anything and yes there was just nothing in the marketplace that was um, modern and stylish so everything out there was functional and clinical and I wanted to marry the, the clinical, not the clinical, sorry. I wanted to marry the function, so the need of having the cotton, um, having a pocket, and I changed it to making sure it was cotton instead of a, a polyester, um, with beauty. And that's, that's what was missing. So I did a lot of research and there wasn't any brand doing that. I then started to... Um, read up on Raj's lingerie design and I was as it would happen the the bra is the most complicated garment to design um, and construct and make and then once you add in when a woman has a mastectomy you're then looking at um, balance um, symmetry neck issues back shoulders lymphedema possibly 
So there was also a lot of other components I had to consider when I was doing the construction of the bra. So I had to bring in, um, I did try to source some experts here in Australia at the time, where, um, you know, in design and in um, sampling. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't too much of a success because what I did find was the way the industry over the past 20 odd years has moved, everything's gone offshore, that there was very limited expertise and knowledge available for me to tap into, which was actually a real pity. Um, so I then had to then expand my research and my network and I finally found the right people that I felt comfortable enough to work with that were going to help help me bring my vision to life. So you, you mentioned things like balance and support as well, but are there any other differences between your, your average bra or, or whatever you decided to put on and something of someone that's, that's had a, is it mastectomy? Is that how you pronounce yes. it? So what, yes. what's the, um, the main differences? Okay, so when a woman has a mastectomy, she, but they basically remove the entire breast tissue, so she will have no breast or okay. breast, and she does a double. Now, some women, like myself, would have a, and everybody's different and everyone's circumstances are different, but in my situation, I was offered an immediate reconstruction so that they were able to reconstruct a breast for me to give the illusion that I have a breast. Not every woman has that opportunity immediately and some choose not to do that down the track. And it comes down to personal choice. So if they don't, if they've had the mastectomy and they don't have a reconstruction, um, it is usually what is then recommended is that they wear a prosthetic. That is um, a silicone prosthetic and there's a, a, quite a variety of them. And they basically will help give the woman the illusion of a, of a breast. It's inserted into the pocket that's in the cup of the, the bra, which is what, what mastectomy bras are. They've got the, the pockets on in each cup to fit a prosthetic if you need it. And, um, and that, that prosthetic will help with the, um, the balance and the shoulder issues and, and as well as the, the illusion of a breast, which will help, you know, help you emotionally as well. So when I was looking at doing um, the, the bra, obviously, one of the key points is that it had to have pockets, but my pockets that that are different to the mainstream bras is that my ones are lined in cotton, which is a lovely natural fibre, as we know. Um, it's beautiful against the skin. When we have hot flushes, um, it, it's just a little bit more breathable and comfortable. Um, the other thing that we have um, is that underwires are really uncomfortable against um, the surgical scars. And if the woman has any swelling post-surgery or some swelling might occur with lymphedema down the track, and that's really quite unpredictable if that will happen or not, um, it needs to be, so we have unwired bras, so they're quite comfortable for the woman to wear, um, and there's no bone in. So they're the key points. Um, and then again, it comes down to making sure that there's enough um, support and there's enough lift and it takes into consideration because um, just a, a woman in general, especially larger, say, larger chested uh, women, they usually, they need really good supportive bras because otherwise it starts to play issues on their, their back and their shoulders and their neck. And so 
when you lose a breast, then you're going to be out of whack with your balance, basically, if you've only had a single. So all of that comes into consideration. So it, it, it's actually quite a complicated process and it, it's hard for me to try to simplify it um, and I don't want to get too complicated, but, yeah, there's a lot of um, considerations. Yeah, I mean, it can go a little bit complicated. I mean, the, the, the idea that things can be simple, I guess, is it's almost like an illusion you know sometimes it's only so simple you can you can make things you know if something's complicated then it's it's complicated there's there's a lot more to it and from what you've said it seems like it differs from person to person as well like there could be so you mentioned um large chested women as well and then imagine that being different for for smaller and then if you'd lost one breast or lost both it seems as there's a whole host of different things that that can go on and then obviously the the result is they'd probably need a very different bra to somebody else exactly yeah, exactly so obviously explained it well enough <laughs> that's good so uh, how does that play out then when you're actually going into this as a business then so when you're making the decision to to go into it and go right i'm gonna help these people and obviously it's, it's helping yourself at the same time but how do you actually go about it and actually create these? Because up to now, it seems like there's there's a lot of <clears throat> of ideas and a lot of okay. Wouldn't it be great if we could do this? And you mentioned cotton for the pockets and things because it becomes more comfortable and different materials for mm-hmm. the the wire and things of that nature, just so it's more comfortable and doesn't it irritate the scars and things. So how far does it actually go? Because from what you've told me it, it's almost like a completely it's almost like a, a completely tailored thing like you can't just go to the shop and get one it seems to me like it's more tailored there's a lot more to it than that look there it, it, it is quite complicated um but the um it, what I've, i i'm not i don't do the made to measure bespoke because um that that's just that would be a lot it just wouldn't work for me at this point. So what we, what I do is I offer a range of sizes and different cup band sizes and cup sizes um, to de- to develop it and and um, work with the bra. At the end of the day, I had to um, bring in um, find a team because I had to tap into the the experience and the knowledge that I don't have. So I have ideas, I have, um, I know my clientele, the marketplace, because I'm it and I'm in that community. Um, and I understand all of that. But when it came down to the, the actual design or learning about fabrics, I had to, um, I suppose it's what they always say, you always hire or bring in people who are smarter than you in the areas that you need. Is that the way? I can't remember the actual saying, but it's along the lines, you always get someone who's better than you, so you can learn from them and they'll, you know, and you go from there. So I had to do a lot of research and eventually found the team that would work right with me. And it was like, you know, the pattern maker and the, and um, the people who understand the fabrics and the ones who understand the dyeing and, and then also the construction and how to sew it and put it all together. I knew what I wanted. I knew what was going to work, but I didn't have the skills to be able to sew it or to be able to construct it myself physically. 
So that's where I had to go and bring in the expertise to help me um, bring my vision to life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it just sort of proves that if you can't do everything that yourself, then you need to find someone, someone that can. So what was that process like when you were trying to find a team and did, what did you ask them particular questions when you were talking to them? And, you know, just sort of t- t- take us through what it, what it sort of took to find those people because you, you, you had a lot of ideas from your own experience, you know, from being diagnosed and struggling to, to find things that suited you. But then what, what was the process of finding people that could bring your ideas to life? Okay. Um, honestly, it was bloody hard. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> right. It was really, really hard. Um, like I'd mentioned earlier, the industry here in Australia is, um, it, it's aged. And when I say it's aged, um, what I mean is everything over the 20, 30 years now that's gone offshore. So you, we've got ver- um, the people that we have left here aren't, well, they're a lot older, they're, they're retired, um, and they're just used to doing things the old way. And they're not so open to new ways or new ideas, if that makes sense. Um, so there was a very limited resource pool that I could tap into here and when I did try to tap into it I wasn't happy with the results that I was getting like they um I would explain everything that I wanted and what I was hoping to achieve and they just didn't get it and whether it was an age thing or whether it was um they couldn't care less because they were basically semi-retired um or whether it was just like they didn't know I, I actually don't know, but it was quite a disappointing and frustrating process to try to do anything here. Um, and I hate saying that because I would love to support local industry and, and business, but it was just, it was really hard. So then um, I had to sort of really um, expand my research and my network and a lot of people and ex, you know, recommended that I try the Asia road and, you know, do everyone goes to China? That's where all, all the fashion is. You'd need to go to China. Um, and the few contacts that I had been given to go to China, just it just didn't work. Um, again, I was too small for them. Um, they didn't understand what I was wanting to achieve. And it was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And what ended up happening is I did a lot of, a lot of, thank goodness I've got a really good research background, um, did more and more research. And what I did discover is that the post-GFC, um, Eastern Europe was coming back with um, the, the textile, clothing and footwear industry. And where their point of difference was is that they were competing against China on quality. So whereby you could go to the Asian or the other countries and you can get some, yeah, pretty okay stuff, pretty, you know, to put in, all's okay. But if you were wanting a really um, artesian, high-end couture, beautiful quality, they were it. Um, and they had the people that I needed to work with. They had the the you know, the sample makers, the the pattern makers, they had the, 
it was just all there and their English was impeccable, which was really good for me because I can't I don't speak another language outside of English. And, um, and it was just really good. So, I, you know, tapped into a few different businesses there who offered the services I was after. Um, you know, like you said, I started to do all my, you know, questions and what can you help me with and provide this is what I'm wanting. Um, this is the reason, the why behind it. This is what I'm hoping to do. Um, you know, I'm going to be particular. I don't want to do what the other brands are doing. I need to use different fabrics. I need this. I need to consider A, B, C, D, E. Um, you know, it, it was quite a process. And there, there were some really, really good businesses out there who were so skilled in in the areas that I needed, um, like the pattern making um, and the samples. And um, it just ended up coming down to, I just ended up finding the right, thankfully, I was able to find the right team who I could work with, who understood my vision and who were open to um, when the samples would come through and I would test them out here and I'll go, okay, A's worked, B hasn't, C's okay, D's fantastic. Um, we need to tweak here, we need to do this, we need to take that out, need to add this back in, yada, yada. Um, so it, it was quite a process, but I finally got to where I want and I'm really happy with the team that I finally have behind me. So, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of research, a lot of research. And at the end of the day, I think you've also got to go with um, who really works well with you and who's going to really um, share your passion. And then they're never going to share it to the level that you that's yours because it's, your, it's my baby. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody thinks their baby's fantastic and gorgeous and it probably they are, but you think it's a little bit more than, the, you know, your neighbour and whatever. Um, so having... Having finding a team who understood really where I was coming from and what I was wanting to achieve, um, that that was a big plus. Because everyone else I met was more like, oh yeah, okay. They they just it, they were very I suppose clinical. To go back to that word with the bra, um, that they were just very yeah. Whereas I needed someone who had a bit more oomph to them as well, and um, yeah, I found it. <laughs> Right, got it. Yes, you, you needed someone that had at least a bit more than a bit more than average passion and and desire to do the, the same sort of thing that you wanted to do. Did yeah. you did you change your approach from person to person? So you mentioned that it was a long process, and yet you had to talk to a fair amount of people before you found someone that could actually bring your vision and actually wanted to do it. There was this element of desire around there. Did you alter the questions that you asked? Did you alter your approach and, and how you got your, your, your vision across? Um, I think, yes, eventually it does. It did change. Um, so when I started, I was obviously very green, never done business before, never had to do with any of that. So I, I went in thinking everybody's going to be wonderful and nice and, you know, all is going to be nice and perfect and rosy. Um, I learned that there was a lot of people that aren't that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would say my approach has changed over the time. Um, I've learned to be 
a little bit more or um, assertive in what I want and not everything to do, not to always take on that, I, I take on their advice, but not having to actually act on it unless it feels right for me to do so. Um, so yes, the, the approach and the questions has changed and it will probably continue to change as I continue to grow and develop as well. Do you have any particular go-to questions that actually gave you the answers that you wanted? Was there anything in particular that really stood out for you? Um, look, I think for me it was more to do with the personal experience than it was the actual questions. Um, and it was the way I think um, I, that they responded to me and how seriously they took me. Um, and I found that the, when they took me seriously and responded in a way that I felt that they were going to be competent and that they were going to listen to what I was also wanting, they were actually going to hear and act to my um, request or instructions. I think that was more of it than the actual particular questions. And it was more of a learning process because in the beginning, I mean, and I hate saying this, but I actually got ripped off by quite a few people. And, you know, it was like they saw me coming. Oh, here's someone, she wants to do some great work and that. She doesn't know anything about the industry. Let's, let's take advantage. So it, it has been a huge learning curve. Um, and now it's sort of more like I'm starting to learn that, you know what, no, this is my business and this is my brand and this is, this is what I want. Can you help me? And if you can't, that's fine. It just means we don't do that particular job together or, or work together, whatever it may be. So it is very much um, now where I am a lot more assertive. I know that I know more of what I want, but obviously, again, like I said, it will. It, it's a constantly changing things because I'm changing all the time. I'm learning all the time. And as I learn more, then my approach will always it will change accordingly. Was it just you knowing a bit more about what you wanted and being more assertive <clears throat> that made all the difference? Or was there something else that you maybe, I mean, you might not have actually tried to engineer it on purpose. It might be something that maybe you've thought about looking back and say, oh, I realised that I did this this time and that meant that this happened and this happened instead of something different. So, I mean, you, you don't have to see if there's anything that you, you tried. Is there something that maybe you realised or, or noticed or discovered aside from being assertive and maybe knowing a bit more about what you wanted that made a, a bit of difference in terms of how you communicated with these people? Um, look, I actually do think it was, I think it was more that I was very new to business in general. Um, I have an admin background. I, I don't, I've never done like small business or all that sort of thing. So I think that was a part of it. So I had had no experience in there and therefore didn't really know what I should be asking. All I knew is this is what I wanted in my product. Can you help me? But I didn't know um, all the other things like, um, you know, non-disclosures to ask for or what are your terms or, you know, what, what's, your, what's your delivery times or 
are you going to guarantee me this? And what's your call? What about if I'm not happy with your work? You know, can I return? I didn't know any of this to ask. I mean, it sounds really crazy and silly, but I was just like, everyone's lovely, everyone's great, you know, I'm doing a good thing. But unfortunately, there's some really dodgy people out there and there's some really, really good people out there. And it's a matter of obviously working your way through it all. Um, and I do think for me, learning more about myself and where my weaknesses are and where I need to learn to um, improve was one was the big thing and I think that's also going to be an ongoing thing because we're constantly changing and self-development I mean if you ever want to do a self-development course start your own business that's the biggest self-development you'll ever go do in your entire life um, so you know you learn a lot about yourself about your limit your your limits what and when I say limits I don't just mean um, business knowledge I mean also the personal and the emotional that comes into it as well um, and I think it's also sometimes I may have put too much trust into people because they oversold themselves to me and then realised that actually they all it was is they, they sold themselves but they just didn't deliver and I need to reclaim that trust back and put the trust in myself and if I can trust myself and, and in my decisions, I'll, I'll end up finding the right team. And that's how it ended up happening. Right, so it seems, at least from just hearing you speak there, that you've got a lot of lessons that you've learned then. So from <clears throat> not knowing a lot about business or how to get your vision and, and make it real to knowing more about what you want and being able to get people to help you do what you wanted to do. Seems like you've got a lot of lessons and you mentioned like the, um, the non-disclosure agreements and you mentioned like, trying to ask the, the right questions that you just didn't, didn't know that you didn't know to a certain degree. Have you got exactly. any, any, any other things that you think that maybe your listeners would might not know that they don't know or anything that you wish that you knew <clears throat> when you first started and tried to share some some lessons with us from your experience uh, look my recommendation now is if I was to do this all over again or if anybody is to um, is thinking of starting something a new business and whether they've got experience in the area or it's a, an idea like mine that they just set, feel really needs to be done. I would suggest a few things. Um, one, I would suggest find yourself a really, really good accountant who can teach you the numbers because I think it's really important to learn numbers. Um, so instead of just throwing your money away at this expert and that expert and this expert um, and learn exactly what, what your limits are there and how much you've got and what you can do with that and how to manage the accounting side. I think you need to also find yourself a really, really good business lawyer, um, preferably maybe in the area that, I mean, a business lawyer is great, but then if you can find someone who specialises in the industry that you're going to be in, um, that would be even better. But find someone, get the correct legal advice so you've got the right legal structure in place as well and that. Um, the NDAs can come into place and I do photography so obviously the model has to sign off on things like that um, 
websites and all of that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, I personally, I'm probably going to get ripped for this, but um, I would not hire I would not go into the marketing immediately, as in I would not hire a marketing expert. I think in today's world with social media, you can pretty much do a lot of it yourself. And if you do want to hire somebody in social media, hire somebody who's like two years old. When I say two years old, I mean someone who, the younger generation, they're, grow, they're growing up with social media. It's part of their DNA. They know it backwards. They know the hashtags. They know what's the filters. They know the latest thing to do. They know the timing to post to get the most interaction. They know the words. that, that, that They just know it. It's in their DNA. And I think if you can get, like, one of those high school kids as a side job or a, a university kid person who just needs a bit of income while they're studying, that would be that would help because that's their thing. Um, I mean, maybe it's, where it's not my thing, and I think it's an. So they're, they're the things I would suggest initially, and I think from there, I think it's really important that then you, um, you know, they say a business plan, and I think a business plan is important to a point, but I find business plans sometimes can be really hard. To you can put everything on there, but then it gets to the bits that, and this is the bit I love, is um you know people that you get your business plan and then that you're starting, you haven't got numbers yet, and they want you to forecast. I'm like, how am I supposed to forecast? I don't have history to go by to be able to predict. So it, I found I found the business plan really hard. Like I knew what I wanted, and it was great to put it down in, in black and white on pen and paper, but. That, that's all it was good for. Um, it To me, it's a bit of a roadmap, but I find that... I just find that the, the business landscape is changing so fast. Uh, marketing is completely different to what it was 20 years ago, but it's social media, which is a lot easier also to get into. Just, I don't know if I'm explaining myself clearly. Um, but I just find things are moving so fast that so sometimes the old ways don't really cut it anymore. Hence mm -hmm. why I'm saying business. the business plan is great if you're going to go to the bank and get and ask for a loan or if you're going to see, try to get some sort of private investment, equity funding or something. But I think essentially for me, I would say to people, get your accountant. So basically get your team around you. Get, make sure you've got a good accountant. Make sure you've got a good lawyer, and try to find like a two-year-old to help you with your marketing. And I think if you can get those three basics first and then you can build from there, it, it, it will go from there. But you need to have the legalities sorted so you don't get bitten in the butt later on. You need to have your counsel, you know, set up in a way and someone who knows how to tell you, okay, well, this is how you look at your cash flow. This is how you look at your P&L. This is what you look at for this. And, that. and just someone who can help you and guide you. And they tend to act also as your business mentors. And I think that's really important. Um, I would suggest be very careful. There's a lot of people out there who call themselves, um, what's the word these days? Um, oh, God, I've gone blank because it's late here in Sydney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, what they call themselves these days? Everyone's like some sort of coach. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, it's kind of like, you know, 
personal um, personal trainers. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. I've got a personal trainer. I do outdoor training, and but he's qualified and he knows his stuff. But there's a lot of cowboys in the industry who've done like a two second online gig and you know can do things that can damage you. And I think that's the same with when you're trying to find yourself a coach. Do you? Do your due diligence and research and see um, who they are, what work they've done, what successes they've had. Speak to their customers um, before you take them on because they're very expensive and if you're not going to get the results and if they're not fully qualified in what you want, then just you're not going to get the results. And that's where it comes back down to saying, um, you know, with the marketing. That's why I say just... Get somebody to do your social media. That's pretty much what you need in the in the early stages. You don't need to do the big marketing plan. You don't need to do the big advertising in magazines or or the you know the bus thing and all of that. You you need a social media presence because that's where everybody's you know everybody's got the phone in their hand twenty four seven and everybody's connected twenty four seven. So if you can get someone who's two years old who really gets that and understands what you're wanting to achieve i think you're pretty much on the right track all right sounds good to me so last couple of questions then tina before we before we finish but before we get to the the final couple of questions if someone wants to find out a bit more about yourself and what you've got going on what it is that you do or maybe wants to check out the lingerie that you've got where, where can you go Okay, so I've got my website. So that is redfernlingerie.com, which is R-E-D-F-E-R-N-L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E.com. Um, and that's basically it's got my um it's got my story, it's got my the 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 products, the mastectomy lingerie that we've created and that we um are selling online. Um, it's also got our blog that we're doing that's called 50 Shades of Pink Women of Breast Influence. So I'm using um, my platform to share other women's story to help others. Um, so that's the website. Social media, we're present on Twitter, which is the um, at symbol Redfern Lingerie. Instagram, which is also at Redfern Lingerie. And um, Facebook, which is... Uh, Redfin Lingerie, I think if you type in Redfin Lingerie, it should be Redfin Lingerie. It might have Redfin Lingerie Sexy Survivors, something like But if you type in Redfin Lingerie, you'll find it. Yeah, so they're the, th they're the main ones that we're on. Okay, cool. Um, do you have any resources or books for someone that wants to find out a bit more about what it is that you do or anything maybe to do with creating products and things so as so people might want to perhaps follow in your footsteps and, and bring what they want to life as well? Oh, books and stuff that I read. I'll be honest with you. I pick them up and then I'm just too exhausted and I put them down. I never, I've got like about 20 stacks next to my bedside <laughs> table to read and it's always on my to-do list and I'm too tired. And then when I do take a hop and I took, I actually gave myself a holiday this year and I didn't, all I did was fill orders in the summer and I would just spend my time down at the beach. And I thought, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to read business because I want to switch off. So I would like to say, yes, I've got recommendations, but the honest truth is I don't. I've got a whole stack of books 
Um, the end of the day, what I usually do is good old Google, Dr. Google, you'll find something that works for you. Um, the only other thing I would suggest is um, probably either join some business forums online, whether through Facebook mainly, um, or if if you're like me, I like human, I like real interaction with real humans. Um, so if you can get into a networking group, but also again, be careful of the networking groups. They're, they're a fantastic resource and they're fantastic to tap and meet people. But then again, there's a lot of people who um, want to ride on your tail and want you want you to promote their business. And it's like, well, hold on a second, I need to do my own stuff first. So, you know, it, it comes down to, again, like everything I've said, it, it, you've got, there's good and bad in everything, unfortunately. Weed out the bad and focus on the good and find the good and you'll be fine. So networking groups are fantastic, but you've got to find the one that works for you. Um, and online forums are fantastic or good old Dr. Google. Um, to actually say books, yeah, when I get through the 20 or 30 that's sitting on my bedside table, then I'll let you know. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to fit everything in when you are, in fact, very busy um, and, and something has to give to a certain extent. So we've got one, one last question, and I quite like the way that you finished with there's good and the bad in everything. You've got to find out what works best for you. But the last question is, and I ask everyone this, so we've got a whole host of different answers to this one, Tina, so we can blow everything wide open if you want to, if you choose to. And the last question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Oh, <laughs> um, well, most of my um, Facebook followers, personal friends would know, I am a fanatical South Sydney Rabbitoh supporter. Born and bred in Redfern, which is why I named my brand Redfern, except I separated the words, um, and that makes me um, a Rabbitoh supporter, which I love. And it was fantastic when we won two years ago in 2014. Oh, oh, eight years, four years ago now. Shoot. Four years, yeah. Oh, four years ago, my maths. Um, but that was fantastic because I hadn't won in 40 odd years. But we're still the best team in the world because we've still only, no one's ever beaten our records. Um, so there's that. Um, I am the youngest of five girls. So people say poor dad, but I think lucky dad. Um, I have 11 nieces and nephews. And two monsters who are my great niece and nephew, which I absolutely adore. Um, what else do you need to know? Don't know about me. Oh, not so much. Um, I, I love um, I love where I live. I love being so close to the beach and being able to go for morning walks and um, enjoying just the best part of the world, really. But then I love travelling. So <laughs> what else can I say? I don't know. There's there's so much. Um, yeah, I'll leave it that I'm a crazy fanatical Rabbitoh supporter. <laughs> Sounds good to me, Tina. Well, thanks for being a guest on the show. I appreciate it. For those that are listening, make sure that you subscribe to it so you can listen to all the other amazing guests that we have on. Tina, thanks for being a guest on the show, and I'm sure we'll, we'll keep in touch. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.